Hello, everyone. This is Greg, your host of Goddamn GameCube, and this is season four. Follow Goddamn GameCube on social for updates on the show and subscribe to us on YouTube for bonus video content. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Goddamn GameCube. My name is Greg. I am your host today. My co-host Riley is with me as well. And in the room, we have my friend John. You may recognize his voice from the Shadow of the Colossus episode. John, thank you for being with us. Oh, I am thrilled to be with you again. Now, um, we are discussing this. I feel like this is a long time coming to discuss this franchise. We are going to be talking about Bioshock today. And before I kick this to Riley, so you, uh, if you listen to the show, you may remember that John and I have been friends for a long time. We're going on about 15 years. So, John, uh, before Riley starts, why don't you talk um, a little bit about maybe how we bonded over this game or your high school experience with this title? Fantastic. We played a couple of levels of this game together. Mm -hmm. We had a real blast with that. I wrote a 12-page dissertation on Bioshock as my English final as a senior. (laughs) That's my awesome. paper absolutely sucked, <laughs> but I just wanted to spend time in the world of this game because I love it so much. And just another thing, if people on this podcast hear me call Greg Chief, that's because that's what I've been calling Greg since high school. And it's just kind of, it's <laughs> yeah. just kind of an instinct at this point. We wanted so to yeah. bridge that. We wanted to bridge that gap where if you end up saying Chief, that was my high school nickname. That's right. So that may come out. But anyway, let's get right to it. Uh, Riley, why don't you start us off? And this is Bioshock 1. Go Absolutely. for it. Yes. Yeah, so um, I feel like if you are uh, listening to this show, you have most certainly heard of Bioshock. Um, a first-person shooter slash adventure game released in 2007. I don't know if you remember. I think this is one of the first Xbox Live demos uh, that I yeah. Uh, and I remember this is one of the first demos that actually broke Xbox Live. Like yeah. it was downloaded so many millions of times that Xbox went down. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, developed by then uh, 2K Boston, which is now Irrational or um, became Irrational, uh, and also uh, 2K Australia. Published by 2K Games, written and directed by uh, Ken Levine. Uh, Ken's previous credits of acclaim include Thief, uh, System Shock 2, and Freedom Force. It was designed by Paul Helquist, art designed by Scott Sinclair, and level designed by the Honorable Bill Gardner. We had the pleasure of uh, interviewing uh, a couple of years ago. The man himself. Um, And uh, yeah, so I just wanted to briefly mention, I'm going to be citing that interview a couple of times, a couple of things that Bill brought up. Um, You know, uh, Bill, if you're listening, uh, don't don't be too hard on us. We're uh, (laughs) we're journalists here. We have nothing but nice things to say about you. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, please give it a listen. Um, So I'm just going to start out with um, the, the setting of this game. It's set in 1960 in a dystopian uh, underwater city uh, called Rapture, uh, founded by a character who we should talk a little bit about called Andrew Ryan. Uh, This character was born in the Soviet Union in what is now Belarus, uh, witnessing both World War I and the Russian Revolution. Uh, After moving to America, he became wealthy by striking oil and investing his riches from that And I think it was kind of interesting that right from the beginning, you have what is a sort of self-made man who uh, has earned his fortune by exploiting nature. Um, You know, he got lucky, found oil in his backyard and and, uh, struck it rich. 
Um, so I just wanted to also, before we get too far, uh, Ken's, uh, Ken Levine's sort of on the appeal of dystopia, he said, we all want to create brilliant things, but we're human. So we always screw it up. No matter how strong our ideals are, it always falls apart. So this is sort of like the seed that's planted, uh, in how this city came to be. Um, as a well-off industrialist, Andrew Ryan came to despise the United States as much as his former home, the Soviet Union, because of the rise of FDR and the New Dealers. At one point, uh, you find an audio log describing how the U.S. government attempted to nationalize a forest he owned and turn it into public parkland. And in response, he burned the forest out of spite. So this is the type of guy we're dealing with here. <laughs> He's a very kind of a complicated character uh, that this entire story pretty much revolves around. Um, he was, however, invested in the perceived uh, great potential of mankind when it came to art and science and um, objected to uh, what he perceived as its misuse. Uh, he considered the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki to be a grievous offense. And he objected to uh, the use of science by what he called the parasites as a means of destroying what they could not seize. Because of this, he and countless others uh, sort of develop a plan to build a new civilization under the sea run exclusively by him, devoted to a free market of business and ideas. Similar to the novel Atlas Shrugged, which it takes a lot of inspiration from, uh, as well as other Ayn Rand novels, um, it involves his recruitment of some of the best minds in the world to create the ultimate utopia. But don't just take my word for it. Why don't we let the man himself speak for, uh, for his thoughts here? I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. The artist would not fear the censor, where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small. And with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. Uh, Andrew Ryan's opening speech, I just want to say, it's one of the first things you experience in this game, and I think it's a great way to introduce both the player uh, and the main character um, into Rapture. You know, it's very kind of, it's a very natural sort of, um, it doesn't sort of break the fourth wall. It's very like sort of in-universe when it comes to that. Um, the foundation of this city is the objectivist slash libertarian ideal taken to the extreme, uh, where everything is deregulated and society completely collapses through a lack of oversight and the unchecked power of business. Um, because of this, the scientific research is unfettered by conventional law or morality. The principal occupants of the city are the splicers, who are deformed humans who have overdosed on the excretions of a magic sea slug. So uh, they, they found this sea slug at the bottom of the ocean. It started giving people these wonderful abilities. And of course, people, you know, unchecked. They took it too far, turned into drug addicts. 
Um, as well as uh, some other inhabitants include the Big Daddies and the Little Sisters, the products of an ongoing experiment involving conditioning and mind control, which I felt uh, was appropriate, uh, considering sort of the paranoia of, of the sleeper agents at the time. Um, and you have a character called Dr. Tenenbaum who figures uh, pretty prominently into the story. Um, she is sort of a, I think, Holocaust survivor who um, survived through helping her captors with scientific research. And she is sort of the, the uh, brains behind that. So I guess before we get any further, I just wanted to ask sort of uh, initial impressions about Rapture, about the concept. I had obviously never seen anything like it. I don't think anyone of, uh, of us had before. Let's let's get into it. John, why don't you start? Yeah, I absolutely adore the setting of this game. And I know we'll probably get more into level design later, but I just am thinking about all the balls in the air that this game is juggling. Oh yeah. It has such a rich backstory and they've fleshed this whole world out, but then they have to think about how they're introducing it to the player. Exactly. In such a way that we're still connected to it. We're still understanding what's going on. We're kind of getting the drip, drip, drip. Mm-hmm. of understanding what's happening in the world. But that first level is iconic. When oh, you're yeah. in the lighthouse and the bust of Andrew Ryan lights up, no gods or kings, only men. Yeah, yeah. And you get that initial speech which you played, which is so cool. It's a very, uh, you know, kind of efficient piece of statement of like, this is this is the deal here. This is what you're getting into. Yeah, you know? and, and just another thing I think that's interesting about Andrew Ryan in the game is how quickly he crumbles out of fear. Yeah. When people in the city start doubting him, publishing things that he doesn't like, smuggling things from the surface, how quickly, in a way, he's responsible for the downfall of his own city because he he grows such an iron fist so quickly and tries Mm -hmm. to shut everybody down. So, yeah, I love the setting. I think I'm going to bring up a small anecdote before we continue. I did you, John, did you play this game upon release like 07 or was it a little bit later? A little bit later. So I think my this is I find this interesting. I played this game, I think, too young, where in 2007, I was how old? 14, 15. I think I it's one of these games where I wish I experienced it for the first time when I was older, Mm. because when I walked into Bioshock, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand any of these political ideologies or what this society was based on. The of course, like this game is is multi tiered when it comes to the presentation. So when you like you see the lighthouse and the bust lights up and the speech plays, I'm like, there's some sort of big bad guy going on, and this there's some city under the ocean that's filled with rich people and it collapsed but i didn't really understand like what was happening at like a you know the huge um sort of philosophical level i had to play it again at 20 at 25 yeah i, I don't know if like did you uh riley did you play this on release i did and i think it was it hit me at a i obviously didn't completely understand it but i yeah. was kind of at a good age for me so i was i believe 16 at the time and um it was kind of getting into that that uh, age where you're learning about these types of concepts in school, and and obviously it's it's 
I think more of a, a collegiate sort of. Yeah. Um, I like, you know. I wish I played this like a year or two later where I, you know, 16, 17, 18, when sure. you can vote for the first time, I started understanding what different politics was. Yeah. At 14, I didn't really understand what was happening. Do you know what I think is to the games games credit though? Because I was in the same boat. I was still fascinated by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand yeah. everything that was going on. This is one of the few games where I wanted every audio diary. Yeah. I wanted yeah. to understand every little nook and cranny of the world. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I think maybe a good opportunity, um, you know, like you said, if if maybe you didn't completely understand all the ideas at play, uh, the presentation was obviously very uh, immersive. Yeah. Um, I would go as far as calling the look iconic. Um, we talked a little bit, uh, with Bill about sort of the push and pull of the cooperation between artist and designer. Um, there's a very strong sort of, uh, art deco aesthetic with a lot of sort of teal and earth tones, brassy kind of metal. Um, what I, I found out was they described that the art deco look lent itself very well to gamifying because it's geometrically very simple, which is, you know, it's good for them. Uh, there's sort of a strong sense of architectural style that always feels to me like reality adjacent, you know, it's, it's just believable enough, you know, without, you know, it's not boring, but but it's, you know, it's sort of, yeah, go ahead. So just a small, um, injection here. If you're not familiar with like what art deco is or what that means, I think of it like the golden age of Hollywood, like, you know, these muscle cars and like Americana. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of, that's kind of what that means. What they, what they, uh, essentially, if you're familiar with, um, Rockefeller Plaza in New York city, Mm -hmm. um, they said, let's just put that underwater. You know what I mean? Of course. Um, instead of getting hung up on the logistics of engineering, uh, Rapture uh, needed to look a little preposterous, but beautiful, apparently. Uh, sort of ha- just to make sure it had a recognizable, iconic city skyline, which I, I think is a success. Um, in lieu of a fanciful sci-fi setting, uh, Bioshock embraces alternate history in the pursuit of a believable setting. Um, the big question that they kept striving to answer was, why would someone want to build a city at the bottom of the ocean? Because it's a very compelling idea. But like, let's get into the why, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, according to Ken, uh, creating a city from scratch allowed the developers to create a self-contained experience that sort of conforms to a player's expectations instead of putting up invisible walls. They talked about, you know, if you have an open city, you know, when you, you feel so taken out of it when you hit like Jersey barriers that you should be able to jump over, but you yep. can't. So when you have, you know, a rapture, you can, you know, sort of seal it off behind like, you know, a flooded corridor or something or whatever. Glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's um, it's, literally the ocean is around you. You're not leaving. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 completely. Yeah, go ahead. Can I just say too, with the art style, have you guys ever played a game where there are so many just iconic images burned into your head? I remember so many things. When you get your first plasmid, there's the there's the finger with the electric bolt oh, pointing yeah. up the stairs. When you first walk into the room and it's the Happy New Year, right before the the revolution sure. happened and the or the rebellion happened in the city. Oh yeah, I, it's it's something that's hard to describe. But so many games go for that. This is a game that I would call it is. It is a visual feast, but yeah. it but I think the art style and the dedication more so than the fidelity, right? Yeah, Because yeah. at the time, the most photorealistic game was Call of Duty 4. Right, right, right. But right. this isn't that. 
This is no. very different. They came out the same year too. I believe so. And I think that's why graphically it holds up. There's a remaster and yeah, it's older. But it still is just so compelling. Think about Sander Cohen's nightclub when you turn around on the bottom of the stairs and there's the strip club and the casino. And yep. oh, yeah. it's just phenomenal. I was going to say, too, kind of in line with that, is something that I maybe sort of suspected before but, but didn't really have confirmation on until now is you're just talking about fidelity that the um the human models are are kind of like play-doughy but it works because yeah. the, the people are so like messed up like yeah, yeah they're physically deformed and sort of the the, the late era gamecube play-doh kind of works out yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and something else that i i felt about that was how well that contrasted with when somebody calls you on the radio they have this very sort of dignified portrait that looks like yeah. you know like a 1940s photo or whatever um and basically what i i uh was suspecting was when you speak with a a sane human character they're always sort of hidden away behind glass or, or in shadow or something mm-hmm. you know um when you talk to uh tenenbaum or, or langford later on um the they were talking about how they put emphasis on because they didn't have the resources to you know fully articulate these models they were talking about the putting the em- emphasis on uh, great uh, voice acting because you can sort of hide that if you have a really compelling voice performance people are maybe not going to look as closely as they would at, mm-hmm. at sort of a model hidden in shadow yeah. so all those like human characters are all just sort of recycled splicer stuff you know mm-hmm. mm. um, I, I think like in general the all the creatures and enemies are all super memorable iconic looking the obviously the big daddy and little sister they're on the the front cover of pretty much everything um but not only that but the uh, all the security robots i think are very uh, they're pretty synonymous with bioshock to me mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that those little like noises they make the alarms and everything and um the, some of the the more messed up looking splicers like the um the spider splicer with the hooks yeah and um the houdini splicer the teleporter one yeah. very mm-hmm. memorable um, I did want to ask, I, I don't know if you were familiar, but the the gatherers were not always little sisters. Mm. They were originally uh, just the actual sea slugs. And, oh. and like they were just kind of like slithering around and um, they experimented with a bunch of different types of creatures. And they were workshopped them, obviously, to develop some kind of like sympathy and, and make the choice to uh rescue them or or harvest them like obviously more complicated they're like you see you can see like you know sort of these these nascent models of them and it's like no one's gonna care about like a, a slug l- slug slithering yeah. across the floor mm-hmm. it was kind of funny but um yeah i i thought it was worth mentioning that the plasmids uh sort of your, your somewhat superpowers in this game um they are definitely it feels like there's a cost to using them there are they're sort of like a raw force of nature that ravages your flesh when you use them. And um, it feels like more authentic and consequential than just being able to even like in the advertisements because it's it's a, you know, sort of it, these are available for public consumption. And they always make it like use incinerate, whatever. Oh, yeah, make they, have, it, they have the little like early TV ads use incinerate for this. Yeah. The little and tutorials then, and then look when like you, commercials. you actually use it, your hand is like the flesh is burning away. You yeah. see your bones and stuff. It's like, oh, 
Yeah, it's very that, though, grisly. What, what you're talking about there is another thing I love in this game. And every element makes sense in the world. Oh yeah, there's nothing thrown away. The the audio diaries there's posters for the plasmids were actually used by the citizens. Yep, ludo narrative harmony. Maybe the term <laughs> we're, there. We're trying to start something here after <laughs> after. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the sound design as well. I mentioned a little yeah. bit before the big daddy and little sister. Very memorable with uh, the, the footsteps, the footsteps, the, the strange noises and um, the little sister's messed up voices like I see an angel. How know? about that first scene with oh, the big yeah. daddy when you're in the theater and you're crouching and this game does so many intros so brilliantly. Oh, yeah. You're crouching like on the catwalk of the theater and all of a sudden the spotlight comes on. And you're behind the glass, and the big daddy smashes the splicer right through the glass where you oh, are. Oh yeah, and Very I believe, effective. like Bill, yeah. on the episode uh, that we had with him, I believe Bill said that was one of the hardest things to build. Yeah. Was that sure the intro to the big daddy? Did they? It took them a ton of iteration to get it right. Well, it's it's view. a very kind of you have to make it clear the relationship in the start for anyone who hasn't played this. The little sister is a, a messed up looking little girl. Um, there's, there's many of them and they are paired with a big daddy who is a huge, um, sort of diver suit character. Uh, you're not really sure if it's a, a human in there anymore or if it's something else, you know, significantly altered, uh, by plasmids and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, completely, you know, um, the score I wanted to mention as well, uh, kind of unconventional, uh, done by Gary Scheiman, I mm -hmm. believe you pronounce his name. Um, uh, it sort of complements the period-appropriate arrangement with music concrete. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with much of that, but incorporation of sound effects, um, off-kilter uh, sort of string arrangements that that build a kind of a tense and horror-oriented mm -hmm. atmosphere. Um, they prioritized making sure it didn't sound like a big-budget Hollywood movie, but mm -hmm. maybe an authentic old recording of humans performing music. Mm -hmm. uh, where wow. they, they deliberately left mistakes in to make it sound more mm -hmm. uh, believable. That's so cool. Um, before we move on, any uh, designs or details that stood out to you in particular besides what we've already mentioned? Sure. Um, are we going to be speaking more about music later or is this my time? This is your time. So I actually have an interesting factoid mm -hmm. about... Do you guys remember... We'll, we'll get to story later. Later, li Way late in the game, there was a piano player playing a piece. Mm -hmm. Remember this? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it is something really funny happens to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. A really interesting tidbit about that piano uh, piece. So... The so the the uh, music director's name his last name is Shyman mm -hmm. is that right That's right So the the piano player who performed the piece actually took some liberties with the piano piece One of my um associate one uh, another Nick that I know not Nick the intern Yeah So a friend of mine played that piano piece for a recital sure. uh, in music school and he was he was looking at the written score and he was listening to what the game is playing you and they're not the same. And so my friend Nick actually reached out to Mr. Scheinman to say, hey, what's actually correct? Is it what's being played in the game or is it what's on the score? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the character in the game is messing it up. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's 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 this weird sort of colliding of worlds where the character in the game is making mistakes in the score. Right. And he's not following the score, but it's left in for that purpose where he the character took liberties with the piece against what Gary Scheiman wanted, but it kind of aligns with the story. 
Wow. Yeah, and against as we learn, um, what his his supervisor, I guess, in, in game <laughs> sure. supervisor was mm-hmm. thinking too. John, anything to add? Yeah, I wanted to talk too about. So I do a little bit of acting on the side, and when you're an actor, you think a lot about storytelling. What do I need to? You're convey? being modest. Wow. What do I need to convey to the audience in this beat? What storytelling piece of information do they need to understand? Every step of the way in this game, they convey information in the most effective and creative way possible. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about two audio diaries in particular. So towards the end of the game, you're kind of learning the history of how they bonded little sisters to big daddies. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a diary with Su Chong, and yeah. he is kind of yelling at a little sister. This little he he's saying, "I can't seem to figure it out. I can't seem to bond them." Right. And the little sister's like, "Papa Su Chong, Papa Su Chong," <laughs> and uh, he goes, "Shut up, shut up!" And all of a sudden, you hear this big daddy absolutely dismember him. Yeah, and yeah. It is like one of the most chilling moments in the game. Yeah, like there's, <sighs> it's crazy. And I think in line with that, the, I I feel bad for not even mentioning yet the voice acting is phenomenal oh there, i don't think there's a bad performance in the no, game no um especially when you have uh spoiler spoiler but uh certain voice actors voicing multiple characters mm-hmm. and i think it is testament to how you know good direction and good acting and um just a lot of effort clearly was put into that aspect of the characters. Um, so unless uh, we have anything else to say about that, I'm, I'm going to move ahead into uh, some of the mechanics and features, how this game plays. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of games, you have a health system and uh, Eve, which is sort of your mana, your your magic to you know use plasmids, uh, health and magic spells meters. pretty yeah. much, yeah. Um, you have a pretty basic uh, currency system that allows you to purchase necessary survival items at the Circus of Values. <laughs> the Circus of Values. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think I wanted to remark that I think it's kind of funny and ironic that vending machines with the silly clown face everywhere, actually you can buy like bullets from them and, and you know, these lethal gene altering substances. And it's like, well, it, w- it wouldn't have been regulated. So why not? Yeah. You know, yeah. just, just correct buy me if I'm wrong. I think Ken Levine was actually the voice actor. He for is, the vending yeah. machines. That's cool. Pretty yeah, incredible. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you have, I think is pretty uh, synonymous with this game to me is that wrench you find in the beginning. It's mm-hmm. kind of like your, your Gordon Freeman crowbar a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they spoke at length about how they were focused on making uh, the deepest FPS experience, which I, cause they, I, this game went through a couple different iterations. Like, do we make it like more of an RPG or do you make whatever, but um, kind of uh, similar to System Shock 2, it's it's sort of an uh, FPS first, I guess, with all these other different uh, options and elements around. Um, you have a pretty uh, standard array of guns um, that are, are, you know, you have a Tommy gun as your kind of machine gun option. It's all very period correct, you know, all these different things. You have some interesting outliers. I thought it was interesting also it's kind of similar to Half-Life where they they let you have uh multiple which is like you know you have your shotgun your machine gun everything at the same time uh contrasting with many of its contemporaries like Halo and Call of Duty that only let you have two at a time. Mm-hmm. Um the uh standouts for me were uh the crossbow what you get at one point I mm-hmm. love the crossbow. Anyth- anything time where you can 
pinned an enemy to a wall is just so satisfying. Mm -hmm. And you can uh, have trip wires with that at one point. Oh. That's that's a lot of fun. And I liked, um, I, you know, it's it's basically a flamethrower, but they call it the chemical thrower, and you can spray like liquid nitrogen on people and yep. freeze them and stuff that i loved was, the electric gel in that i thought yeah, that was yeah, such yeah. a cool touch great idea yeah. um because even like you know if you don't want to specialize in your electroplasmid you can kind of make up for it with something like that you know yeah. you have options um i you, you want to mention something? Yeah, I, I actually love how some of the guns are are presented to you. Yes. I don't know if you have this uh, for later. Um, I, I I do, but go ahead. Sure. What I there are the first two that I love, where I believe there is a woman crying over like a baby carriage, yeah. right? And it's a splicer. And when you look in the baby carriage, I'm like, oh my god, is there going to be a baby? No, it's a handgun. Yeah, uh, very like, very funny. And I love the shotgun how it's presented to you as well, where it's presented to you in this very theatric a spot that you're in this dark room a spotlight appears on the shotgun implies for you to pick it up and yeah. there's like a very theatric sequence of you shotgunning splicers well it, what's great about that is that the spotlight is the pretty much it's a very sort of narrow uh source of light and chandelier it's the, it's the only source of light in the room yeah. and that encourages you know use the new close quarters weapon you got because you you can't see too much too far around you I think and it, the enemies can't get you from a distance right yeah exactly so it, it's such creative ways and i yeah. think this almost ties into our conversation about presentation where where the way that the gunplay and how the guns are introduced to you also aligns with the aesthetic oh yeah 100 yeah. percent yep um i just wanted to because there's not actually that many in the game i'm going to list every plasmid sure super quick yeah. um so we have electro bolt which is your shock uh, incinerate, as we mentioned, um, winter blast, which is you can freeze enemies, uh, insect swarm. You get some some bees you can fire out of your wrists. The bees, yeah, the bees. bees. Uh, telekinesis, probably my favorite. Um, sonic boom, uh, cyclone trap, uh, security bullseye, where you can throw something and send the robots after them. Uh, hypnotize big daddy, which is you know obviously you get them on your side. And the target dummy, it's just kind of a, uh, you know, decoy. Um, some deleted plasmids that I didn't know about was uh, mm. parasitic healing. I mean, maybe it would have broken the game, like too, you know, too, too effective. Easy. Yep. Um, as well as teleportation. They could never get that right. So like oh, okay. the splicers you see warping, like it feels like very easy to break. Yeah. So what, what were some of your favorites to use? Um, I actually, I think hypnotize Big Daddy and um, telekinesis. Probably because yeah, yeah. what I found in this game was, I don't know if you guys agree with this. I actually find the game's normal setting to be too easy. Okay. So what I found myself doing was this game has some environmental effects going on. If someone is on top of water, shock them, does a lot of damage and so on. They kind of were doing that sort of thing. Yeah. There's like gasoline on the floor, yeah. set it on fire. I and found the wrench to be way too effective on like normal difficulties. Well, especially if you, you can sort of um, play around with your abilities later, you can essentially upgrade it. So it's even better. <laughs> right. And so mm -hmm. I think my most recent playthrough of this game, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this as a part of gameplay are the, um, the Vita chambers, the oh, Vita yeah, chambers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, so I played it on the hardest difficulty recently where those are turned off. So you can't just essentially in the normal difficulty, this game does not have a game over Right. where if you die, there's, you don't load a screen. There's no death state. You just kind of get revived and keep going. Mm. The reason why I bring this up is my plasmid use when I was on hard difficulties was way different. Like I was prioritizing hypnotizing big daddies 
um, getting security on my side because some stuff in the game was so hard without it. Right. So I think this game was interesting where depending on what difficulty setting you did, I think your magic use for me varied a ton. I don't know, what John, what you have to say about plasmids, but go ahead. I just, the story and the atmosphere of this game got me so much. This is probably a fault of mine. Like I just wanted to get past the enemies so I could hear what was going on. In oh, the yeah. Story. But um, for me, Incinerate was really helpful. The Electroshock was really helpful. I kind of wish the bees did more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. Bee, it like wasn't. It was such a cool idea. Like when you'd hold your hand out and you'd see like the hive, like on your hand, or the yeah. the, the honeycomb, and like the bees crawling. But I I found that it was never as effective as like incinerate or electric. Yeah, shock. it's mm -hmm. it just kind of like hangs people up a little bit more. Yeah. But um, no, I totally agree. And and while um, before I forget, you were talking about the shotgun uh, in the spotlight moment. There's another great moment, which um, they, they get into a little bit in some interviews where they were teaching people how to use the telekinesis thing, trying to experiment with the best way to do that. And I don't know if you remember this, but in the game, you uh, when you find it, it is in um, a dentist's office. And it's essentially like they talked about how <laughs> it's kind of funny that so, a lot of dentists or medical professionals, you find they have one weird like hobby. Yeah. And in this case, it's uh, this guy really liked tennis. So he's using like the telekinesis plasma to work on his tennis game. And they, <laughs> yeah. they, they rig up the like turret to shoot tennis balls at I you. I remember that. You can throw it back at yeah. them. Yep. It's a pretty, pretty uh, effective and way. And that's kind of how they get cool. you to, to learn it. Cause you can go into that hallway with the tennis balls. I oh believe. yeah. Yep. Yeah, you turn on creative. the machine and you can keep catching them and throwing them. Mm -hmm. Very yep. creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> so I we have maybe a, a controversial thing here, but what did you think of the hacking minigame when you're wherein you hack turrets and uh, uh, security robots and all that kind of stuff? I think um, it was sort of one of the, how do I describe this? It's one of those gameplay elements of the era of yeah. the time. There are a lot of games that implemented that kind of stuff at that time. Oblivion had unlocking mechanisms. Right. This it was a big part of System Shock. Mm -hmm. Deus Ex did the same thing. You essentially have to. Um, there's there's a current, I guess, or whatever, going through, and you have to arrange a series of tubes to make yeah. make it reach the other end. I I like it on principle, but I kind of felt like it wore out its welcome. I agree, especially as it um, they kind of start. You know, I guess this is this is a good thing, but they they make them a little harder as they go along. There's like broken circuits here and there. I um by the end of the game, I, I think you know you can eventually auto hack, like, auto -hack and yeah, stuff you just like auto hack that. everything because I just can't I deal did. with this. I yeah, yeah, I don't have time. <laughs> Especially when you walked into a room and there was like four things you wanted to hack. You wanted to get the camera. You wanted to get the turret. I found I I hate to say it, I got a little bored. Yeah, hacking that mm -hmm. much. for um. And in the same vein, um, things that kind of break up the moment to moment for me, I thought that the research camera was an interesting mechanic, yeah. but the problem is that I felt compelled to use it like every time to max out. Like, so you, you essentially, you have to take a, um, an innovative picture, I guess, of certain enemies and you will get, uh, damage bonuses against them. But yeah, the criteria is not super clear. It's kind of like um show like show the enemy in new ways or or when they're in the middle of attacking or something it wasn't super clear on that um i felt that it just kind of unbalanced the experience 
Uh, did you use the camera at so all? Or? I did the same thing you did where the game, it, I've used this term on the podcast before, the game gets a little too video gamey at yeah, that yeah. point where... Like I want you're not really going to like do that in the middle. I want to be in this game is like a pseudo horror game. Not really, but it has some horror elements. I'm not going to take out a camera to get experience points like that's in real life. That's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, But I mean, of course, I abused the camera to get the bonuses. Right. I just kind of wish it wasn't in the game because it also took me out of the experience a little. Yeah, it would have been interesting if they played around with the action was continuous, like after you took the camera, if there was more of a risk to getting the research bonus. Sure, maybe only if you were sneaking up on enemies or having to do it from afar. Yeah. And you know what I would have done? I would have lowered the amount of photos needed to max out you know, I your agree. bonuses. Like, yeah. let's, let's not uh, waste too much time, you know? But um, yeah. yeah, as I mentioned... You can kind of play it. You mentioned the wrench being super powerful. You can uh, find tonics that allow you to personalize your character further by changing some of the basic game math, um, health, eve, damage, hacking abilities, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I mean, I obviously as a kid, I didn't pay as much attention to this, but like you said, I'm sure it's a lot more beneficial when you're playing on higher difficulties to pay closer attention to uh, those kind of like min-max things. The game is very different on harder difficulty, I found. I played it much differently. Yeah. I really liked there was one you could get where every time you were hit, you released an electric shock. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was super helpful. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah, overall, I think uh, just to to bring up another uh, quote here, they were uh, just sort of highlighting the importance of uh, decision-making when it comes to combat and strategy to sort of engage you further with the world. Um, otherwise, you know, you're just kind of blasting down hallways. Yeah, you know? of course. So it's very much not that type of game. Mm. Um, speaking of consequences, you brought up the Vita Chambers. Let's get into this a little bit before we move on. Mm-hmm. The Vita Chambers, so when you die, you run out of health, you are teleported back to the nearest sort of uh, like checkpoint, I guess it would be. Um it's sort of in-universe, it's this product. I'm not sure exactly how it was supposed to work, but um, it's just a means of getting you back into the action before too long. Um, in the Bill uh, interview we had, he talked about how he pushed uh, for Vita Chambers for time reasons, but they went back and forth on whether they should cost you uh, money, in, in-game money. Mm. Um, so what do you think about this system overall, and is there anything you would have done to change or improve it? Sure. Um, this was interesting, where I had no problem with the, the Vita Chambers, Vita Chambers, um, when I played it for the first time. But I the game, to me, I, I think I mentioned this, I played the game most recently on the hardest difficulty where they are turned off right and it is a very different game and i found myself even more engaged with the systems well i'm also that kind of player too where i want a game to challenge me i want to have to make these decisions on the fly and care about my resources and what i'm doing particularly for me when it's clear that um they put so much thought into it. If it's yeah. like certain things, we've talked about some like unbalanced games recently, mm-hmm. something like this where I know that they've probably tested it like that, you know, like without with Vita Chambers turned off, gives me a little more incentive to try it out. I think, um, I, I, if I recall from the Bill interview correctly, you know, they went back and forth a lot 
mm-hmm. on this. And I believe if they ended up staying in the game because they benefited player completion and players having fun. Yeah. And them not being taken out of the action. Yeah. And I, it does. That's the positive, I think, to Vita Chambers where there are no loading screens. You don't get a game over screen. Right. It's very rare that you would get a stoppage of play. Mm-hmm. That is helpful. Like, you know, for the immersion in the game, you're not always being stopped. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked the Vita Chambers because it, it opens the game up to the type of gamer that I am. I'm not really that advanced. I, I tend to play video games because I love atmosphere and I love story. Yeah. So I kind of loved that there wasn't a huge consequence to me dying. Yeah. I know um, you two are much more advanced than I am. So the, the <laughs> challenge of that, of, but uh, <laughs> the challenge of having the Vita Chambers, having think, no Vita Chambers, you guys probably like. Yeah, I think. Um, for me, I've never played the the No Vita Chamber run, but I, for my part, I definitely appreciate just kind of in the sense of it is a fairly lengthy game, not like too long, not yeah, too short. 15 to 20 probably. Yeah, and um, I liked sort of having a consistent sense of momentum. And I think you are fairly, if you, if you get into a big scrape with, say, a, a big daddy or something, you can burn through your health packs and then... When you respawn at one of these Vita chambers, you're still kind of, you know, there there are consequences to mm-hmm. you know having that. But um, yeah, I'd like to get into the story unless Please. we have anything else. Yeah, no, let's go. So um, we talked about the intro with "Welcome to Rapture" and um, the plane crash. I thought was I, I had no idea what to make of that in the beginning. I'm like, what's going on here? Because you're sort of your character is is on a plane ride, looking at a photo of their family. And um, they stand up abruptly and then it cuts to black and you get the title card. And the next thing you know, your plane has crashed in the middle of the ocean and uh, you're swimming for your life uh, and you find this this lighthouse. And for me, this was so compelling to me because, as we all know, I'm a big mist guy and I'm a mm-hmm. big uh, adventure game guy. And it's mm-hmm. sort of, for me, having that first person with this very kind of... Um, it grabs all your attention. I need to get to this lighthouse. It's the only way to survive. And um, it, like you said, as soon as you walk in, it's it's uh, what am I getting into here? It's a, yeah. it's a whole other world uh, down there. I recently played um, the remastered version that came out for Xbox One and PS4. Yeah. yeah. And you can hear certain interviews with Ken Levine and everybody. Right. And um, that opening moment of the plane crash that was one of the last things they did in development. Yeah, and I, yeah, I remember that hearing was about that. So interesting that they were testing the game, and they knew they had something brilliant, but the story wasn't working for people. Yeah, and they were like, "Why am I here? You yeah, know, why what's... am I here? Who are these people talking like they're from this crazy era? What's going?" Right. But that plane crash, for whatever reason, it really lands players and it makes them invested in the it's, story. It's a the world. somewhat like. For I mean, you're getting into magic sea slugs and big daddies and all these things. So a plane crash is like, this could happen to me. You know, yeah, like it's yeah. one of those kind of sort of. Uh, and yeah. I think with that intro, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the title card is just uh, is underpinned by just people screaming and yeah. crashing. Yeah, yeah, shit, yeah, Right. And I, you can correct me here, too. I believe you physically have to swim to the light ta- the yep. lighthouse. You have to push the control stick forward. Mm-hmm. I yes, think you, you have do. to. Good, good way you to, do. you know, yep. sometimes people mess that up. Yep, yep. It's, it's one <laughs> yeah. of those tricky moments where, like, are they going to do it themselves? Like, do I? Right. I don't know about you guys. Whenever I start a game, I always hit all the buttons. Sure. So for me, ah, <laughs> that's cool. you know, I, having to, I, they also do a really cool thing where a lot of games do this now. I think for them, 
having visual cues of where to go was not only really important, it's also really well done. There's a giant lighthouse. I should probably go there. Like, and it works out. They also, they, they light your way in different parts of the game. Mm-hmm. They do a nice, you know, combination of not just audio cues, but also visual. Yeah, not not uh, explicitly holding your hand, just kind of um, giving you the gist. Yep. And there's no failure state in this intro, which is helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. Um, we mentioned uh, already, you know, it's a very successful sort of tutorial uh, where you go down in the bathosphere, the sort of submersible, down to Rapture for the first time, and you are left like completely helpless in that moment when the the spider splicer is kind of trying to scrape her way in. I'm like, oh, this game's gonna be scary. That sound when the spider splicer just rips open. That other guy that who's other like, guy, oh, it was just gross. Yeah. It was so well done. This game, I do what's interesting about Bioshock, I think, as a whole, you get the impression it's going to be way more of a horror game than it actually is. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think they really get your heart going, wow, I'm trapped in this bathosphere. This thing is scraping up again. I, there's nothing I can do. I but, think that's like, I mean, it's obviously, like I said, a, an FPS game first, but mm-hmm. the horror moments are what stand out to me when yeah. I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's great. You get the, is it someone new? <laughs> the, um, <laughs> but in that scene, you get introduced to the security robots who come after her and, and, uh, Atlas contacts you in that moment. He's one of the, the few, uh, sane people left underneath. And, um, yeah, you mentioned all this great stuff with the introducing the big daddy and the little sister in that moment. Yeah. And, um, one of those other things was they were talking about how too much information is sometimes no information. Yes. And yes. I think when we talked about Disco Elysium, we had this, a similar kind of thing where you don't want to overwhelm people. Otherwise they're just going to shut down, yep. you know, like, I don't know what any of this shit is like, so you got to kind of, like you said, the drip drip of, yeah. uh, of it going on. Um, Trust in, your audience. Use intrigue. Let yeah. Them, let them think. Let them make guesses. Yeah. Uh, draw connections. Yeah. And um, also in this this introductory period, because it's it's uh, sort of the first place that you can reach is uh, it seems like this area hosted several protests of people who got sick of Rapture and were trying to leave. So that's also a very kind of. Like, okay, this place is like serious business down here. It's a very immediately like, wow, people died trying to get out. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, it's hard not to like Atlas at first, I think. Um, he seems to be your only friend in a very unfriendly world. I don't know if you folks felt the same, but for me, I was like, oh, I like this guy. You know, like he seems pretty cool. And um, it's kind of hard not to root against Andrew Ryan, who number one seems to be out to get you from the start. And number two, it's like pretty clear that he's responsible for all this. (laughs) Did you read, I I read this recently where they, they debated of what kind of accent to give Atlas. Oh really? Where like, should they, I think originally he had a Southern accent, right? but they thought for some reason they thought a Southern accent was, he was obviously a villain. Well, the you, test you get, audiences said, Oh, he's, he has a Southern accent. We can't trust well, him. He's for clearly some like maybe, maybe associated. If you got a smooth talker, maybe he's a con man. Yeah. yeah. Something like they gave him horn leg horn. Yeah, they gave <laughs> him, is it an Irish accent? Yeah. yeah. They yeah. gave him an Irish accent and that would just responded better to play testing. He sounds like he's, he's like, you know, working, class union man he's yeah. gotta, gotta get his family out there myra but, uh, my yeah. myra <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so i thought it was what was great about uh structuring this story part is each segment of the game moving forward is sort of 
differentiated by focusing on a specific character or characters and using environmental storytelling to illustrate the arc their lives took down here and how they affected the lives of those around them. Mm. Um, To quote one of the developers, uh, you can't tell the story of 1,000 citizens in detail. You focus on a few and flesh them out as much as possible. 100%. Um, another thing I believe that from from that remastered commentary are talking about how these uh, characters are kind of like Batman villains where the crime is just the afterthought compared to the philosophy or the quirk of their personality. And I completely think that's a great way to to make people memorable. You know, they're not, you know, just complete violent psychopaths by themselves. They all have like an agenda. Um, so the first one you meet, everybody remembers this guy, Dr. Steinman. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Uh, I try to make them beautiful, <laughs> but they always turn out wrong. <laughs> he, he's, uh, he runs the medical pavilion for Rapture. Yeah. Um, very visceral example of how the discovery of Adam uh, mixed with human frailty creates monstrosities. Adam being the, the sea slug substance. Uh, the dentist uh, in this part, Greg and I were just talking about this, uh, sneaking up behind you is a very terrifying encounter. Yes. You remember this? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, it's because it's you don't hear footsteps or anything. And I think it's so funny because dentists kind of have a reputation of being a little creepy. <laughs> this yeah. one kind of takes the cake. They kind of, I feel like the developers. No offense to dentists who are listening. No, I just feel like the developers really like honed in on like a fear that everyone has that's, I mean, I, this, pun not intended irrational right yeah i'm yeah, afraid yeah. of the dentist i don't want to go and they make a scary dentist yeah the well you, it's kind of funny scary right you, you um it's a little bizarre you have to go find like a glowing object in the corner or something and you turn around and he's just right behind you and uh, i don't think he even attacks you until you move or do any take nope. any action which is terrifying um this is sort of the beginning of where you can start choosing to rescue little sisters or harvest them. Um, I think this is maybe going to be my first somewhat negative uh, about this game. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a little bit of a problem with the morality. I think it is somewhat of a ridiculous choice to throw at you, like especially right at the beginning. Um, I, uh, I think the impact is dulled immensely by going through the same animations over and over again. I was playing this uh, in college and um, my friend was making fun of me because every time you rescue them, they do the same no, no, no thing. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that does get a little old. Um, the slight increase in Adam received from harvesting one just never seemed worth it to me. Yeah, I always do like the good guy build. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've watched like the cutscenes of what happens when you harvest them, but it's also one of these things where um, uh, saving them, you also get a bonus every three. You get the gift. You get the gift. Yes. So yeah. it's not like you really get a incentive to kill them. Also, you're just gonna choke out little girls. Like you're not gonna do that. Like, well, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, so basically, um, it, for the audience's perspective, it just kind of blacks out. Like, it doesn't, like, yeah. it's like threatening grasp, uh, but, yeah. you know, and their body is just never, that's another problem is that, like, you don't see anything. I mean, not that I want to, but you don't see, like, the murder or, and there's not even, like, a body. Like, so it's, it yeah. feels very kind of clean. Vi- you're you very know? incentivized to be a good guy, which I think is good. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. just, if you're going to give players that kind of choice, you got to have some yin and yang there. Well, yeah. So in the beginning, sort of, uh, 
you have like a devil and angel on your shoulder where Atlas is saying, you need all the atom you can get if you if you want to survive. And yeah. Dr. Tenenbaum is like, no, I'll make it worth your while if you save them. So Atlas is a guy you already trust. So that kind of complicates things a little sure. bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, and that's maybe the first clue. Sure. there's something up something with Something's up with him, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe an interesting way to do it was like to start out, you can only rescue them. And then... Um, what uh what i you know over the course of the game maybe you can they at some point presented with the option of you can harvest them like it just have kind of a slow descent into sure they kind of give you an a and b choice very early like first thing pretty much yeah um and you do have to defeat a a big daddy every time you encounter Mm -hmm. one which is kind of makes it more interesting too like there's obviously incentive to handling all of them but it's not it's uh, totally optional so yep. if you want to save your resources for something else you can always do that mm. um in the beginning sort of your first objective is uh rescuing atlas's family yeah um you go into this place called neptune's bounty mm-hmm. uh which is kind of a port or fishing uh you know as, as much as it can be underwater uh area where um you see all the signs of renowned smuggler uh, Frank Fontaine yeah. and uh, how he was killed recently in a shootout um, because you're not supposed to smuggle anything from the surface in Rapture. Um, here you attempt to uh, escape with Atlas's unseen family. Uh, they're in a submarine that gets destroyed by Andrew Ryan. He sends a bunch of, sp- a bunch of splicers at you, these uh, insane citizens. Um, it's so funny because the scene is interesting to me because you can't tell if... Um, you know, like I said, you don't see the death of the little sisters. This is like, you kind of assume maybe that the game is censoring itself by not overtly portraying the death of like a mother and child in this moment. Right. So it works like to use your imagination. Like, it's like, Oh shit. Like, wow. These guys aren't playing around. Yeah. Um, at this point, I, it's not my favorite part of the game, but I did think it was worth mentioning. Um, kind of an interesting passage where Andrew Ryan, attempts to thwart you by killing rapture's plant life yeah this part yeah um, therefore yep. cutting off the oxygen, oxygen supply yeah. Yeah. right um so you work with this uh dr langford who's probably just like not one of the most memorable characters um you have to go to that farmer's market and pick up uh ingredients for, yep. for this, this this thing yep um it doesn't feel that consequential at the at the time but it you do learn a lot more about the the world and the uh the, the saturnine cult those those uh people who wear the wooden masks yeah. and stuff yes. they're kind of creepy um and you wind up saving the plants by by concocting this thing the doctor dies the lazarus vector yes yes and uh, you mentioned this where you get the bees there is you have to go into that uh apiary and you you press the smoke <laughs> button and you only have like a couple seconds yeah, to take it out i thought that was pretty stuff. tense yeah that was cool um Probably the highlight for me, I mentioned this um, when you were asking questions to Bill, but Fort Frolic is probably my favorite area in the game. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so cool. So um, it's a, just sort of another diversion on your way to Andrew Ryan. Um, it, it emphasizes sort of the unrestricted approach Rapture took to art, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you have sort of a, a Warhol kind of figurehead known as Sander Cohen, yeah. uh, who corrupts and enslaves splicers and incorporates their bodies into his works. Mm-hmm. Um, he's extremely temperamental, and um, <laughs> as you mentioned earlier, he winds up blowing up one of his uh, minions for mouthing off to him, the guy who's playing the piano. Yes. Yes. It's like laced with dynamite, and he yeah. screws it up too many times, so he 
fucking bliss. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable scene. Great too. scene. Great scene. Yeah. All um, musicians out there feel the pain, I think. Oh, absolutely. It's basically Whiplash. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah. Also but, a funny movie. Yeah. Um, I think the, the scariest <laughs> part of this sequence for me, I, I think about every time I play it, is the situation where you walk past a few seemingly a lot of the, the people he kills are covered in plaster and you know like with their throat slit or whatever and you see you walk past a couple like ballerina splicers i think it's in a bathroom because there's a, a ton of like optional rooms that are totally worth exploring in this yeah. game um but when you turn around they're gone yeah and it's just like oh my god oh. and yeah. so and there it's a while before that pays off where um you can kind of hear they're more of the spider splicers. They're crawling on the ceilings. You hear them overhead. It's like, oh my, they're stalking It's one you. of the like mannequins are alive sort of moments. Yes. And yeah. it winds up being another one of those dentist moments where you go into like a flooded basement mm -hmm. and you find this item and you turn around and they're all there like posed. Yes. And every time you look away and turn back, they're, they're in closer. Different yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It's very, very chilling. I, I love the part. Um, another memorable set piece I want to talk about is when uh, Cohen briefly like loses patience with you for some reason, and he sends his uh, splicers at you while uh, Waltz of the Flowers plays. Yeah, it's very Brilliant. very. So you're blowing them away with the shotgun, and it's it's just <laughs> like. Um, so yeah, that, then you you wind up uh, finding Andrew Ryan's lair, uh, Hephaestus, uh, provides power to Rapture uh, through sort of uh, the. Uh, vents the geothermal vents yeah i just want to go back to fort frolic for oh, yeah, a second sorry. because it it seems like it's a nice little diversion but looking back one of the most important storytelling beats are there oh yeah when you go into the strip club right and right, you right, realize right. that andrew ryan had a mistress right and then around that time you figure out that you have to have the dna of andrew ryan in order to ride the bathosphere Right. So you're and I, I believe to use out. use uh, the Vita chambers, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's like, wait a second, something's not adding up here. Yeah. So you have um that uh that sort of industrial atmosphere. It's pretty cool. They very deliberate choice on their part. Um, a more theatrical example of his character being so sort of immersed in industry. Um, they they said like. He's, he's the kind of guy who wants to wake up and smell the grease fires, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. totally, totally like that. Um, and uh, there's there's like bodies uh, like strung up outside and it just sort of like illustrates to me how, you know, for all his, for all his candor, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, he's ultimately just like a ruthless authoritarian at the end of the day, you know? He's terrified. It, that's really what it comes down to, fear of losing his city. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is here that we, I didn't even mention it, but here you find that um, the the always sunny uh, Pepe Silvia board with all the uh, the conspiratorial uh, strings drawn yeah, yeah, towards yeah, everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and uh, the phrase "Would you kindly" is on the wall. Yeah, uh. and uh, and so did did you did you have any thoughts about this at the time when you were first playing it? Because I I was like, huh, Atlas has been saying that a good amount. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> no, it, I was totally thrown until the reveal. Okay. I was too. And can I just say too, one of my favorite audio diaries is in there. Again, we talk about creative execution of storytelling beats. We have to understand there is this phrase that can make you do things that you don't want to do. Right. And Su Chong has a little girl strangle 
a puppy. Right, 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 right. That audio diary is chilling. You hear the dog's neck break. Yep. You he- oh god. It's and it's very I mean it's all connected to like, you know, the big daddy's little sister, that kind of thing. Yeah. But um yeah, you you wind up making your way to uh Andrew Ryan, uh the man himself. Yeah. And um <laughs> it is uh instantly memorable for me, like one of the oh. best scenes in the whole thing. Um you essentially learn that Atlas has been saying would you kindly over and over again to control you and eventually take over the city. And it's something that is said so innocuous. I think it's even in the very beginning he, when you see the little sister, he goes, would you kindly lower that wrench for a second? Yep. And it's just just like little things you probably, oh, it's just like a quirk of his character. You know, they wanted to make him memorable by giving him like a little catchphrase or whatever. Yeah. But it, it, it in turn is very impactful. Andrew Ryan, of course, because he is, he is a... a the type of guy who would cut his nose off despite his face. He says, yeah, see, this is how it works. And he says, would you kindly kill me? And you have to violently murder him with a golf putter. And it's like one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. (laughs) I remember I played this game young too. I was like 14. Yeah. That that is probably when I, when I was that young and I didn't understand the game at all, that part still made sense to me. Sure. Where the, would you kindly, you've been, you essentially, you've had an unreliable narrator the whole game. Yeah. And then he wants me to kill him with this nine iron and you have to do it. Right. My favorite part about it is too when you've mangled his face, he's still yelling at you to obey. A man chooses a slave and obeys. Is, and you hear his speech getting all slurred. You've just broken his jaw and all of his teeth. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And I, as I was like thinking about getting ready for this podcast, I'm fascinated by that storytelling beat because the whole game you're leading towards Andrew Ryan, and I'm right. thinking, is it going to be a boss fight? How am I going to beat him? Right. And it's ironic. And Andrew Ryan still beats you. But how does he do it? He says, you're nothing. You haven't made a you're single. less than human. <laughs> it, you, you haven't had freedom since this whole thing began. Right. And it is incapable. You are incapable of making a choice, a decision, anything. Yeah. You're a slave. And of course, it's all die. from the first person, too. You know, like it's yeah. it's essentially no different than normal gameplay. Yeah. But, it's, um, it's worse than living. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, uh, He's dying, but it's his choice to die. Right. And I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty uh, incredible moment. Um, yeah. So there you you uh, essentially unwillingly turn over the keys to um, Atlas, uh, who reveals himself to be actually the, the deceased Frank Fontaine. He's just been doing, uh, he's been doing a little bit the whole time, doing yeah. some impressions. He's, he says he's had various disguises over the years. And I thought that was also something very interesting where you're playing this game and you're being, you're receiving instructions and it's, you're just, you're as the player being manipulated. And it's, it's, you know, you're the Luno narrative harmony is there again, as yes. we say. Um, and I, you, I, you wind up uh, escaping through the help of uh, Tenenbaum. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. this was, this was like an odd sort of, I don't want to say they should have cut out a third of the game, but it would have been interesting if it w- this was only a save little sisters option. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh, if you save them, they help you. Right, and if right, you right, don't, right. They don't. Yeah, and yeah. you have to do do it some other way, or you know, they cut something out. Or, um, but yeah, she rescues you, and you have um, this sort of uh, section where you're trying to remove the mind control. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 As you get a little bit of. Um, 
just sort of a lull in the action here where it goes back to exploring. Mm-hmm. You kind of see um, it's called Olympus Heights and Apollo Square, kind of where the rich and famous lived. Um, you're trying to piece together uh, the way to undo your programming, and you wind up uh, hearing a lot more of these audio logs about how it happened um, and how you are essentially a um, clone, I guess, harvested from or a genetic kind of uh, abnormality where your entire life has you you were born three years ago and now you're an adult man yeah you're the child of andrew ryan yes. and that stripper right and they they do like genetic modifications on you to make you grow up at a much faster rate right right yeah. right and um and it's also uh, a, a cool thing is you um you never really get a good glimpse of your character's face except from like some security photos. Yeah. But you always see uh, his wrists have like the chain tattoos on them. Yes. Like it's pretty it's pretty uh, incredible the way they did that. Um, you get a little reunion with Sandra Cohen here. You want to mention? Oh, your you and I with were that? about to touch on the yeah, same yeah. thing. Yes. Why don't you speak on it? Then I will uh, make my comment. No, so um, this is optional, by the way. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it's somewhat incentivized. I didn't even mention that the uh, weapons are all upgradable, and there mm-hmm. is a uh, in Sandra Cohen's bedroom. There's a weapon upgrade machine, so it's yeah. kind of a little motivation to get into this. Um, but yeah, you you find his apartment and he has like a couple dancing to some song and he says, um, "You're you're welcome to watch, but don't interrupt or I'll be really mad." Mm. And um, at this point, if you do, if you get in their way or you attack them or whatever, he comes down out of his bedroom and assaults you, and you can kill him. And then um, what we didn't mention was he previously had you take photos of his dead disciples as a like an art piece yeah and uh what happened to you when you when uh, this is when i was 14 and i well we gotta go way back here this i love this and back in those days 2007 2008 i loved achievements and i loved that sort of you know the little objectives that xbox gave you for playing games yeah. do this or do that they were pretty creative. i fucking adore this I didn't. I, I. I don't look at achievements before I play games. I always play it for what it is. Yeah. I said, Sander Cohen wanted me to take photos of dead bodies. What if I take a photo of his dead body? Right. And there's an achievement called irony. Yeah. If you take a photo of his dead body, pretty. Incredible. I said these guys are fucking geniuses. Yeah. On um, they the one of these <laughs> people who I use the phrase this game gave a shit. Yeah. Or, or yeah, this yeah. game thought of everything. Or these people gave a shit. Yeah. yeah just one of those stand up and clap moments. And it's one of these things too, where if you showed enough restraint to yes. not kill Sander Cohen in Fort Frawl, like you get this, but you can kill him at any time. Right. In Fort Frawl. When and he remember, comes down the stairs, he has that treasure chest, like the whole yes. time that you want to get into and you have to decide, okay, I'm not going to go for that right now. And that unlocks the thing later where you can be in his apartment. Yes. But you can so, and uh, go back to Fort Frolic later if you want and, and open, open up it. the treasure chest. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. It's really neat. Um, so getting into the end game here, mm-hmm. um, uh, Point Prometheus is sort of the last area. Uh, you kind of break your conditioning. Um, it's kind of revealed that uh, Frank Fontaine, you know, he and Andrew Ryan had this big rivalry. Um, he wanted to eventually subvert him and, and uh, take control of everything. Um, it uh, becomes clear at this point that the only way to reach him is to become a big daddy and have a little sister open the door for you. Uh, somewhat disturbing to me in this situation was the implication that 
like that machine that maybe scrambles your vocal cords, that oh. like bloody like claw. You remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And um, because you have to sound like deep like they do. Yeah. And um, and maybe that you'll like smell like shit for the rest of your life because <laughs> these guys look pretty stinky. Yeah. Um, it is kind of disappointing that um, you spend the level gathering the big daddy gear to wear, and the only difference appears to be. Um, the fishbowl that makes your vision slightly worse. Like you don't see like your hands in like big daddy gloves or anything mm-hmm. like that. I thought that was kind of a I bummer. I think you get a damage reduction by wearing the suit. Too, yes. Something like that. Yes, yeah. you're right. They um, could have done more with that though. I agree. Yeah. There is a nice like kind of footfall sound when you jump or and, and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Though, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, I liked uh, the proving grounds part where you have to defend little sisters for a change. Um, Maybe a little bit of an unintentional blueprint for the next game, which yeah. we'll get into, of course. Um, so <laughs> there's this is a kind of a controversial part. Um, I am going to share my thoughts and then you folks can. Um, the final battle with Atlas for me is absolutely the right concept, but it always felt like one of the easiest encounters in the game. And yeah. ultimately it becomes somewhat disappointing and anticlimactic considering everything that came before. Uh, in Ken's words uh, directly, we're not good at boss battles. That naked dude, it just doesn't work. That boss <laughs> battle is silly. Yeah. So really? So I ask wow. you, like, how would you have handled this finale differently? Wow. You know, it's so interesting. I feel like we're in a scenario where I also, th- I think the boss battle, the final boss is off message. Yeah. It feels very uh, disjointed from the rest of the game. You never have to do something like this. And it, it doesn't, I just feel like Bioshock was not the kind of game that is conducive to a giant bullet sponge final boss. No, no. Yeah. It just doesn't feel Ma- right. Maybe more of a, um, puzzly encounter or something like that i just thought maybe like i just think the ironic boss battle of andrew ryan is more up this game's alley would it would it have been better if it ended at that point do you think some people say that yeah where it ending with andrew ryan in the golf club maybe maybe that should have been the end it's an effective storytelling moment but then they introduce this idea of you don't have free will yeah and the rest of the game is a fight for you to actually have a decision that's yours sure but i agree that final boss battle is just weak and i get it you legitimately look like atlas mm-hmm. and you know he looks like somebody um, he looks like a lot of the statues in the game too. exactly right he's sort of because he's overdosing yeah. on adam and he's He's becoming like the the uh, supreme like Ubermensch uh, kind of I, guy. I yeah. hate to even make this this comparison, but I will. Did, did you beat Resident Evil Zero? Right? Remember our of first course. episode ever? Of course. You remember the stupid final boss where like Rebecca has to go open the windows while you shoot at the final boss? Wouldn't don't you think like a a puzzle boss like that would have made sense here. Maybe the little sister, you have to yeah. find some way to down him so little sisters can stab him or something like that. Well, y- yeah. That kind of happens anyway. It kind anyway. of happens, but not really. Yeah. You can like, you know, have, you know, use your traps, like your mines and tripwires and yeah. stuff and use the security bots to your advantage. But there's just not, to me, not enough actual strategy. No, I feel like I, I, I could think, just like derp him every time. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it should have been more of a puzzle boss if it's going to align with the yeah. game. But Listen, it's a two-second uh, negative out of like eighteen hours of bliss. Oh yeah, so like yeah, I'll take completely. it completely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this is the end of the game. You defeat him, and uh, your choices up to this point uh, determine what happens next. Um, it's it's pretty funny because my thoughts align perfectly with Ken Levine's himself. 
Um, the good ending to me is very sweet. Um, I think it is, yeah. it is very kind of, um, it, uh, it makes it all worth it. I guess your, your character is sort of given purpose and taking care of some little sisters. They grow up and, um, you know, presumably live out their lives together. And for me, the bad endings are just kind of stupid. Yeah. And what's so funny to me is Ken Levine said, it's clear that I was much more interested in the happy ending than the nuclear submarine one. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it yeah. just kind of, it's very abrupt. Like it implies that when you control Rapture, you're going to send the splicers to invade the surface. Yeah. And um, I felt like it was just sort of, like earlier I mentioned how ridiculous the morality is. Like, do you want to kill a little girl? And then now it's like, do you want to, use nuclear weapons on the surface of the earth like you know like it's it's like so extreme i almost feel like there shouldn't have been a different a ending. different ending maybe there yeah. should have just been one um and john i don't know how you do you have a, a take on this ending i just feel like it the it gives you the illusion of choice but i i just don't think they should have given you one at all sure it makes sense that if you had gone through the negative way of going through the game that that's a route that you might take yeah i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna go up and i'm gonna attack the world i want to talk about the good ending for a second yeah yeah again creative execution of storytelling beats we just see hands you know in mm -hmm. that in that good ending of the game um it, and i there like was the little sisters have grown up to be young women and are holding like your hand as you're dying i guess probably didn't live that long if he was already mm -hmm. you know yeah. there's something about that that's so moving when you're on your deathbed and your hand is shaking right and all these little all these women reach their hands in yeah seeing them how, how do they tell the story of them getting married the girl's hand with the ring going on <laughs> right right them graduating from college the girl reaching out her hand in the diploma yeah it's there's something about a hand that's so vulnerable and so tactile and and it's very sort of um you know making you on the same playing field as them because majority of time you're seeing the main character's name is jack you're seeing his hands you know so yeah. it's oh, like kind of wow. tying it tying it together in that mm -hmm. way i didn't think of that wow. but um i did want to briefly mention that there has been a movie in, in development for some time oh, yes <laughs> um so i think i don't think um what I thought would have been interesting was for a while that guy Gore Verbinski was attached. He did the uh, mm -hmm. first couple Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm -hmm. I think he would have had an interesting... I always admire the production value in those. I don't know how well he would have handled the story, but I guess that's another, another conversation. But as of right now, I'm not sure if any developments have been made. There is currently one slated for Netflix. And, oh, uh, boy. I don't, uh, I don't have much faith, but uh, good luck to the team. Um... Uh, you know, I, I maybe we'll watch it as like a joke. Yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> watch it ironically. Yeah, yeah. it'll turn out to be good, like Resident Evil. I don't Who know. Knows? Yeah. But um, for me, my final thought here is that it is, um, despite uh, a small handful of shortcomings, it is still a very worthwhile journey that broadly excels at adventure, horror, FPS, and RPG elements. Sure. Uh, John, why don't you go next? You know, this game was and is very important to, you know, I would say your your life, childhood, teenager. And why don't you go and then I'll send us off? Yeah, I became obsessed with this game. And I, I to be honest, don't finish a lot of games. I start them and I get kind of bored. But there was just something about this world that was so intriguing and so pulled me in and so made me want to explore and find every audio diary. What it's saying politically how moving the story is. This to me is like one of the best games ever made, if not my favorite. For um, sure. 
so the first Bioshock, um, I'll be brief because I think we've been very thorough here. Um, mm. Like I said, I think my first playthrough was a little bit uh, tainted by the fact I think I was too young right. when I played this. I My first impression after I beat it was, well, that was a weird game where you shoot bees out of your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of weird. <laughs> so I think this is, I said it earlier, we do say this on this, this show a lot. This is one of those games where they really gave a shit mm-hmm. and they cared about all of it. And I think probably, to me, what stands out about the game is really the visual storytelling of the lighthouses here, go here, shotgun is under, chandelier, go get it. Right. They Keep in mind, we're talking 2007. So this is... You know what's so fun? Sorry to interrupt your thought. 2007, for Christmas, I got this... Mass Effect and a game that I completely forget. Um, that was it was not historically significant at all. But I was like, man, what a great year for games. Two thousand seven you know? was an unbelievable year for Call games. Call of Duty four. And Oof. I do want to oh, say wow. that you know um, this game got uh, had to go through a ton of iteration before it came to be what it was. Yeah. yeah. Like our conversations with Bill when he talked about monster design to designing the first level. This was like what five or six years in the making. Oh yeah. Bioshock, I yep. believe. So anyway. Um, I think to wrap this up, for me, this game is a big success when it comes to visual storytelling. Yeah. I will leave you with one, maybe something to ponder. Sure. I don't know if audio diaries were the best way to tell the story of this game because uh, um, many players would miss it. Or if you don't find the diary, you miss key parts to understanding this. Perhaps, uh, perhaps. And so here's the thing. I'm the kind of person where I look in every nook and cranny yeah, and yeah. I want to find it all. I, I have a little anxiety about like if I really want to tell people the story of the game, I want to make sure everyone hears it. Sure. And, and maybe as like a 14 year old, I missed some stuff. It was a little lost on me. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best way to tell the story is through audio logs. I think the majority were, I guess, optional sort of world building stuff. Sure. But if you're thinking about, you know, how, uh, you know, Andrew Ryan's uh, son came to be and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty uh, solidly important. Um, I think for me, this is like a nine out of 10. Oh yeah. Right. Before we end, we should do grades. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. That was, that was me. Uh, nine out of 10 for me. I'm going nine and a half out of 10. Oh yeah. yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> I think, okay, I'm going to say B plus cause it's too easy. And I think the game is unbalanced, even though the story is awesome. Okay. So, All right. That's B plus for me. Um, anyway, that's going to do it for goddamn GameCube. And next time we are going to be talking about Bioshock two. So thank you guys.